0: My Fame Explained Podcast Episode 21, D.C. Glenn.
1: A new record. He's like, give me that. Give him a cassette. He's like, I can't do no, no cassette. Give me, I need vinyl. Mm-hmm. This is like about a week before I was going to leave Magic. So it's like, I got to get something pressed up, but I'm going to hit you up, and then we'll meet, and I'll get you your vinyl. And he came down. I gave him the vinyl on a Friday. He went back that Monday, and they played that record the whole show on Yo! MTB Raps. And then two weeks later, the Bulls win their third championship, and you got a half million people in Grand Park and the Bulls on stage celebrating, singing woom There It Is on WGN.
0: Welcome to the My Famed Explained podcast, a podcast with the people you know and the personal stories behind their fame. I'm your host, Larry Gilbert. D.C. Glenn, or better known as D.C. The Brain Supreme, and Steve Rowland of the hip-hop duo Tag Team burst onto the scene in the early 90s with their hit, Whoop, There It Is. The track quickly climbed to number one on the Billboard Hot R&B charts in just 14 days. And the song continues to appeal to admirers who were raised in the 90s, and to new enthusiasts of every era, as it is recognized as a true symbol of the time. The song alone has been showcased in nationwide ad campaigns, as well as in Hollywood films, television series, and sporting events. Oh, and how could I not mention that super catchy sing-along Scoop There It Is Geico commercial featuring both of them. In addition to still performing music, DC is an international speaker, professional voice artist, and actor. So what brought this duo together in high school, and what are the origins of that song? And how did Scoop There It Is Geico commercial come about? Well, here's my conversation with DC Glenn, and his whoop. There it is. Fame explained. First of all, thank you for taking time to do this. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you must have a really busy schedule. What? Yeah. <laughs> Ew, <laughs> Put man. it lightly, right? <laughs> That's not it. Hey, it's all good, though. <laughs> yeah, right. Being busy is good. So, uh, obviously, this is about your life. So, let's start right at the beginning. Um, you were born in Chicago, and then Steve was born in Omaha. Um, but you both would move to Denver, and that's where you would eventually meet, right? In high school?
1: Yep. Uh, met in 11th grade, and we both sat next to each other in the homeroom because our last names begin with a G. And uh, Steven had a band. I wanted to be in that band. And then uh, there was a choir down at the end of the hall with the truancy office I worked at. And I wanted to be in that choir. I went to my first high school dance, and I saw people DJing with two turntables and a mixer. And I was like, I gotta have all that. <laughs> and, <laughs> was that so, your first uh,
0: time, like in person, seeing that? You know, the, the that
1: was my first. Yeah, like, like literally the first time seeing all of that. And I was like, I gotta have it. You know, I took in trumpet lessons and piano lessons, the stuff your parents make you do. But you right. know, I knew I wanted to do music when, when, when that happened. And you know, graduated high school, just started gaining mastery at all those things, and uh, got to college and learned I could make money from it. And started DJing all the frat parties, started uh, just really just honing my music skills. I would write lyrics in class instead of studying. Um, my boy, Johnny Z, got a four-track recorder, so I ended up learning how to make songs on my own. And um, that's what changed everything, the ability to make songs in your own living room. And... Um, that's when we all flourish, because everybody bought four tracks. Now we're just sending taste back to each other. Our Songs are getting better. And fast forward to my last year in college, I go down to visit Steve in Atlanta, because he moved to Atlanta to go to the Art Institute. And they take me to this club called Magic City, which is a strip club. And I knew right then and there that I was going to come to Atlanta, Georgia. So went back, packed up, went down to uh, Atlanta, Georgia after I finished school. And trying to get a job and was up at the club one night and the dj was just terrible and i was like shoot i could do this down here mm-hmm. and end up being the head dj of magic city within a week and i just dj'd and all the big clubs in atlanta just got really good at it and we're making music as we go but we're making hip-hop and when you're in the southeast you gotta have the up-tempo booty shake and <laughs> i realized that we weren't going to be able to ever get out of the southeast unless we made a bass record and uh, I went to Steve and I was like, hey, man, we got to make some tempo because we'll never get out of here. And he's like, I love bass, but I can't make it. I was like, don't think bass like they do it down here. Do it your way. Think Planet Rock. I think, you know, Egyptian lover because that's, you know, Planet Rock is the essence of hip hop to me. Mm-hmm. So you can still do hip hop if you do it Planet Rock style. Right. And, you know, I had had tons of lyrics And he had had tons of beats, and people think we put together this big Manhattan project where we got lab coats on, and you know what I mean? We're using theorems, and just, just did not happen like that. It was just a song. And, you know, we recorded that song, and I went to work that night, popped in a cassette, and to this day, it is the biggest response on any record that i have ever played in my dj career and i've been djing for 30 years
0: and and uh, when was and, this uh, this was like the early 90s right around 92 this was
1: august of 92
0: august of 92 okay and that's when you were working yep. at the club still right magic yep, city
1: that's when i was working at the club still mm-hmm. and uh but my hubris as a young man i'm thinking every record i make is gonna be a hit record so right i kind of shelved there it is and i'm playing all the other records right that we were making. And one day, a uh, little bit later, one of the girls was like, how come we don't play I one there it is anymore? And I was like, I'll play it. Same thing happened with the response. But this time, uh, a Columbia Records record rep was in the house. And I knew all the record reps back in the day because they serviced me the vinyl. And he was like, what is that? His name was Alan Cole. And I was like, that's my new record, dog. And he was like, hey, man, give me that so I can take it to New York. Mm-hmm. Took it to New York. New York loved it. I get a call two days later for Columbia Records. I'm like, this can work for every label. So now I'm talking to all the labels and they're kind of giving me the runaround because they don't know what to do with that type of music. And back then it was just LA and New York. So
0: So was there a was there a hip hop scene or anything like that back then in Atlanta? Because so many artists that we know of today came out of Atlanta, you know, and, and it oh, seemed yeah, like yeah. It, was it was a hotbed for that I, kind of music. I so.
1: Yeah, I got there in eighty nine when Babyface L.A. Reid, Bobby Brown, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, a lot of people had gotten there. I got there, and we all kind of got there at the same time. And, you know, you had Crisscross, Cross, then you had Jermaine, who was already there. Then you had, um, I mean, just everybody started blowing up. And because of the strip clubs, the strip club I was in, everybody that came to Atlanta wanted to come to Magic City. So, because everybody came to Magic City, I knew all the rappers from New York, LA, all over the world because they would come to Magic City. So they knew me; I knew them. And
0: so, so it's kind of like the place to be at, at the time in Atlanta. Like that's where you the, wanted to be, like the Studio Fifty Four or something like that. Yeah, I, mean,
1: it, I I got there. Yeah, I got there. You know, when you know, I knew all the Falcons. I got there, uh, Dion's rookie year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Me, me, and Dion Sanders and Dominique Bookins and everybody, right? All the Braves, all, all those Braves, just to come to the club, and we used to just they buy mixtapes from me. and We just sit around talking. That was like we was, was all friends, and yeah. um, so I was already popular before Wump even happened. And you know, once all these record labels are looking at me, you know, I kind of got discouraged because nobody's pulling the trigger, and almost gave up. And then his record company rep, uh, Lisa McCall, was like, you need to talk to Al Bell because he put out Daisy Dukes last year and it went gold. He might be able to do something with your record. And I called Al Bell. And for those who don't know who Al Bell is, back in the beginning of uh, Soul Music, there were three record companies that started it all. Philly International, uh, Motown, and Stax Records, which was owned by Al Bell. And Me and Al Al Bell called me back after about two weeks and you know, I was like, Look, man, we gotta hit record. You know, Mm -hmm. I've tested it. Everybody loves it. You gotta sign us. And he was like, Okay. And I was like, Come on now, dude. For real. Like, you haven't even heard the record. And to this day I'll never forget these words. He said, Brother, I don't have to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit. Let's agree to agree. And let's get this thing moving. And I gave my two weeks in Magic City, signed a messed up record contract, and the and month and a half we were platinum, and the rest is history.
0: Wow! So even at so at that point, he had never even heard the song. That's amazing. I that, that knew dude. by my
1: by my passion and by my spiel that he didn't want to let he wasn't going to let that go go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just another person wanting to be in the record industry. I knew I had something. And, you know, me being a DJ, that's the vouch for it, right? That's the vouch for it. So, I don't, you know, I don't care how good a DJ you are, you can't lie about a record.
0: <laughs> right, just right. And, and, and you know, you think about, like, the time and being at that club where it was so popular, yeah. and then being the DJ, I mean, you you are basically, you know... I'm the A&R
1: it, for the city of Atlanta. Exactly, basically. exactly,
0: yeah. And, um, you know... And then I, be able to, to put your own song it, on for everybody, I mean, that's even, even more, you know, because you're not just spending other so people's fun. records. Yeah.
1: I've always been able to do that. I've always been able to do that. That's what, has, you know, that is how I've curated my whole career is the ability to be able to do things because I'm a DJ. And all the fundamental things that I've learned as a DJ, I transferred to my life and to my business. So for me as a DJ, I get to drive the bus. I get to watch the human behavior of all those people out there. It is my job to keep three thousand people on a dance floor on saturday night in this big club or it's my job to keep a 100 people on a dance floor in a little club right it's Mm -hmm. my job to know human nature come up with tactics to switch dance floors let you know just all these little things that have made me who i am come from djing right and most the best part about djing is that i get to be on the outside looking in while being on the inside (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean yeah yeah
0: that
1: you can do that like i don't have to be in the trenches like that but i am in the trenches because i am the conductor of uh, uh you know of the crap that's going through the trenches so it just it was an education that i had learned from and has always been my go-to and i've made a career out of it but at the same time everything else came because of it right right and you know because i'm a dj and lover you know, it was a good friend of mine, and he, heard, he hears the record, and he's like, what is that? And I'm like, hey, man, a new record. He's like, give me that. Give him a cassette. He's like, I can't do no, no cassette. Give me. I need vinyl. Mm-hmm. This is like about a week before I was going to leave Magic. So it's like, I got to get something pressed up, but I'm going to hit you up, and then you, we, we'll meet, and I'll get you your vinyl. And he came down. I gave him the vinyl on a Friday. He went back that Monday, and they played that record the whole show on Yo, MTB Raps. And then two weeks later, the Bulls win their third championship. And you got a half million people in Grand Park and the Bulls on stage celebrating, singing Woon't There It Is on WGN. Because WGN and TBS were the only cable stations nationwide back then.
0: Yeah, they were super stations. I remember that. Yeah,
1: Super stations. Yep. You see what I'm saying? So the whole, the whole, everybody saw that. And then you got the sports shows all night playing it. So now we're gone after that. And that's why I just it, it just exploded, and you know it's a good song too, and I've been writing that song for 28 years.
0: Yeah, I know that's that's quite a life to have. You know, just the story of one of one song. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you're 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 talented, in that you know you you were basically rose from you know being controlling this this club, you know, the music of this club, to then you know going national uh, with all of this. Um, what, yeah. do, do you remember like the first time that you heard the song on the radio? I mean, what, was it first on the radio, then on Yo! MTV Raps, or was the Yo! MTV Raps first and then...
1: It was actually on the radio. It was Okay, so back then, there was only one black radio station, which was
0: B-103, and okay.
1: they couldn't play rap. But I knew the, the Evening Jock, and his name was Ryan Cameron, and I gave him the instrumental. I, I gave him the record. What he would do, he would play the instrumental over as a music bed when he would give the out give announcements, right?
0: Oh, okay, all right, I see.
1: And he was doing that night after night, and people knew what it was in the street. So people started, so many people started calling and requesting that record, that that broke the radio stations back to be able to have to have rap records in rotation.
0: So that that kind of paved the way then for for rap that records paved. on the radio. Station. That
1: paved the way. That paved the way because of Ryan Cameron, and you know all these little nuances are the things that. Are, are you know what made Wound There It Is successful, right? Because there was 15 other Wound There It Is records, <laughs> right? Right, because it was right. a party saying, right? But how do you, how you know, how do you rise above everybody else? And it's just strategy, right? And me being in Atlanta and then me dealing with Al Bell, he's not a new record company dude, he, know, he knew that there were other Wound There It Is records. So, what he did is he confined everybody to the southeast and then we got we went and took the rest of the country. So, I mean, we're doing cameo summer jam we're doing all the big radio station you know you know promotional tour yeah we're out in front of it and it's just been an incredible ride you know every opportunity comes to us so you know it was it was good it was good for a couple years and then you know what happens to everybody where's the money and we had gotten we got money not to say that we didn't get money but there were situations where you, you, you know that you're supposed to have more than what you have. And it's like, well, what's, you know, what's going on? And then the record company goes bankrupt. So it's like, oh, my God, here we go now. So now I'm trying to fight one record company, but then another record company comes in and buys the whole catalog. And then buys and takes something they're not supposed to taste. So now you got two record companies fighting and we're the pawns in the middle. In life, people got to make decisions. Are you going to look at the glass half empty or are you going to look at it as half full. And I always choose to look at the glass half full. And I said, I know I'm going to have my day in court. So I might as well become a paralegal, right? I better get educated and know what this legal jargon is so I can at least understand what's going on. So, I, you know, I have traumatic moments in my life where something happens that's not ideal or something happens that didn't go the way I wanted. And I always vow that that will never happen again if I can help it. hmm. And the only way that's never going to happen again is if you educate yourself. So I basically became a paralegal. I got all the discovery ready. I had all the paperwork anyway, because every time we went to the uh, record company, they would give us a big stack of papers of everything we were dealing with, memorandums, all that stuff. Yeah. And I just put it in a box, FedEx box, it into my mom. I lugged that around, and it was in a trunk in a basement, and I had it all. And then I just organized it. And that was the discovery. And then I learned what emotion was. And I learned how you get court cases in district courts and all that. I learned the jargon. I learned the red case study and all that stuff. And it took 15 years. But we prevailed at a cost. Because, you know, when you go to war, you lose an arm, a leg, maybe an eye patch. You do have an eye patch when you get back. But yeah. it was over. But that whole time was filled with educational opportunities because of trauma. And I always take advantage of it. You know, most people would have just became old and bitter, right? And, you know, for the first 10 years of that song, it was always a double dutch, like, hey, is this going to be the year that it ends? Is this going to be the year that it ends? Is this going to be the year that it ends? And I think around 2003, I'm sitting in a movie theater, and I'm looking at Will Ferrell dance on the table to Elf. The not there it is, and I'm I'm mad, but I'm happy. i I'm mad because I didn't know about it, but I'm happy because I now know that I have an evergreen, forever hit record. And it is not up to anybody else to make my money. It is up to me to make my money. So you better get educated. And I mean, I was in self help. I did everything: Robert T. Kiyosaki, uh, Anthony Robbins, Zig Ziglar. You name mm-hmm. it, I did it all. And I just started running my life like a corporation, and I learned how to do things. I learned how to, you know, what's different between the LLC and you know uh, S corp and C corp. I got my credit straight, you know what I mean. But then I'm running a corporation. I got my credit straight, but then you know, there's corporate credit. Oh, what's the does number? Oh, I just started learning. Then I was like, nobody's ever going to take advantage of me and my money, so I can't. Became a licensed commodities broker. Passed series three tests, right, for, uh, you know, for commodities, bro- for commodity brokers. I worked at three commodities brokerage firms while DJing at night. And it just wasn't for me, right, because yeah. it just wasn't for me. I, selling people financial services you really don't know about and don't understand, that's uh-uh. felt like a snake oil salesman. So I didn't do that. But, you know, sometimes you do things for one reason and there is a valuable lesson in why you did it. And year 2000, I look at CNBC, I don't know what they're talking about, but the year 2002, I know everything they're talking about. And, you know, through all the self-help, you know, I'm, I'm. it's called being in the corridor. If you're at a job, you know, you've got to be the most you can be in that job, right? I'm not just right. a DJ. I'm the light guy. I'm your sound guy. I am your flyer guy. I'm your graphics artist. I do your television commercials, your radio commercials. I'm your voiceover guy. I do your video editing. I do everything. And when you do that, you make yourself invaluable. And when you make yourself invaluable, you're not doing all these extra things for the company or for, for a certain person or for whatever. You're doing them for yourself. And either they're going to let you go or they're going to keep you. But if they do let you go, because you've done everybody else's job, know how to do the manager's job, know how to do everything. Your transition to something bigger and better is easy.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And it makes and you I'm, more marketable. I've always believed that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You I'm just, I just, it's all about the hustle. I hustle and I learn. And whenever I have an experience that changes the trajectory of my success, then I have to deal with it and I have to learn it and keep it moving. And, That's how I've always carried myself. That's why I've always been able to do things. We've always done shows. We've always done NBA halftime shows, NFL halftime shows. We've always done things under the radar because we're not rah-rah guys. It's about just going to places that want to book you and and pleasing the fans. All the other stuff is irrelevant.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true.
1: You know, and that—that's I've always lived a happy life. You know what I mean? And you know, I'm continuing to live a happy life because I'm an actor. I'm a voice art- artist. You know, I do SEO. I'm an I'm a SEO master. Right? Mm-hmm. And I, I do so many things. And I just remember everybody today, back in the day was like, man, you're a jack of all trades, master of none. The elders would tell me that. Uh-huh. You got to concentrate on one thing. You got to do this. You got to do that. And it's like, no, you don't because every generation is different. And, you know, that's why I tell everybody. I was like, don't buy into that because I'm proof. If you live long enough, hustle hard enough, play offense, learn how to learn. You become masterful of some of those trades. Then they all come back to serve you in ways you don't even know, ways you don't even imagine because they are part of you. And you have that expertise to, to, to you know, challenge any situation that comes your way. So I love the fact that I've done so much in my life and I've gained mastery over it because I can do a little bit of everything and truly remain happy because I'm not stuck in one thing. It comes back to serve you, man. I'm telling you. And now, you know, I'm in a position where, you know, I, I, I keep getting chances to be, to, to to move forward and get more things that I want. And, you know, the traditionalists will tell me now, you know, DC, you can't do this, you can't do that, because all my mentors, I'll throw something at them in a different way, and they're like, yeah, but the industry works like this, so you're not going to be able to do that, and I'm like, man, you know, maybe you're right, I can't do everything, but my thing is, I show enough can be prepared for everything, and they're like, okay, that makes sense, DC, that makes sense, and I just shake my head, because the very thing you just disapproved of, you now approve of said in a different way because preparation is doing everything. People ask me, what do you want? These, I want it all. So I'm preparing for it all. And when you prepare for it all, you just always in the preparation when things happen, you're, you know, it's not as traumatic or you're not caught off guard. Mm-hmm. And when I say prepare, I'm just saying whatever comes my way because I just think differently. I'll come up with solutions. I'm I'm a problem solver. So if you got problems come to me. I'll listen to all your problems. I'll listen to all your complaining. I'll listen to all your excuses because those are gifts to me. Because now I can come up with five or six solutions for every one of them, put them in my toolbox, use them for later.
0: And and just you just never know when you, you might need them too, you know? Like and you
1: never so, know when l- you might need them. And the only way you can deal with it like that from a mental huh. standpoint is to, uh, to realize that Everything you do, there is no quit pro quo. Right? You don't, you know, my analogy is you do not plant a seed, sit down, watch it, say grow seed, grow. It don't grow. I quit. I mean people do that with a real estate course they took or with a class they've taken or with you know a training they've done because they want to be rich. They want self-gratification. They want instant gratification. And they try to blame it and push it off on young people when it's older people who want it worse than the young folks. Yeah. Young folks don't know what they want, but, you know, you know, you 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 should know better as an older person. Right. So I don't buy into any of it. I tell people all the time, like, you just got to keep your emotions out of it. So I plant seeds. That's all I do. I plant seeds in fertile ground. and I keep it moving. And I planted so many seeds in my lifetime. I stand before you in a forest of opportunity, unimaginable. And I just have to be ready for everything that comes my way, and the sheer variety of everything that comes tag teams way is just astounding. And one reason is because we've always been a clean rap group, and people trust us in front of their kids. So the door is open for things that we never would have thought we can do. Which is, I mean, I never thought you know what my wildest dreams. I never thought I would be the Grand Marshal of the Talladega 500 in NASCAR. In my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd be doing the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. In my wildest dreams, I never thought that we're being considered for entertainment for Rockin' New Year's Eve, Dick Clark. Come on, man. The sheer variety. They're paying us to go up to Alaska to, just to scoop ice cream. We ain't got to sing or nothing. Yeah, just scoop yeah. ice cream with these kids.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? So, all I do is just prepare. You know, because... Yeah, I had a big meet with my agents for acting. They're like, what do you want, DC? I was like, hey, I'm good. You guys do a great job. DC, what do you want? You guys do a great job for DC. I'm happy. DC, what is your bucket list? And I was like, that is a totally different question. And it changed me. And it's like, I want to be in The Mandalorian. I want to be in anything Star Wars universe, live action or animated. I want small roles in big movies. Give me five lines with The Rock, I'll do the rest. Cause I know SEO. I know how to market myself. I'm my own publicist. I know what to do. I put out press releases. I do everything I need to do. I've learned it all to be self-sufficient and be able to pull the trigger at a moment's notice to take advantage of anything that comes my way. And That is why I'm sitting here with a with an ice cream, and two commercials from Geico.
0: That, yeah, exactly. That's I wanted to talk about that. Um, how did that come about? Like,
1: you know how that came about? Yeah, that app started in 2011. 2011, I'm at I'm at the club DJing because I you know I did, after about five years in the lawsuit I, I just went back to the club. That was like show money, right? And I just DJed and it was just easy and i get a call and they're like dc there's this lady at the front she will not get off the phone she said she got to talk to you i was like oh my gosh who done done something too <laughs> and it just was it was i was like call me in the morning please and it was a reporter from the new york times and she told me that barack, everybody in the world thinks barack obama's in your video With Barack obama in your music video I'm like, what? <laughs> it's a fun frame for this rapper, L.A. Snow, who, who made the song Daisy Deuce by Deuce. Uh-huh. He looks exactly like Barack Obama. And that whole week we did an entire, we did the whole nine of, of promotion, everything, right? Because everyone thought it was and him. Then, it kind of went
0: viral, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And at the end of fun. that week, yeah, we did ABC, NBC, everybody. <laughs> end of that week... I was very upset because I had nothing to show for it, which was another traumatic instance in my life where I said, this will never happen again. And that's when my SEO career started, search engine optimization, ability to get the ability to get on and get in front of anybody you want, you know, through Google, being on the first page of results. Mm-hmm. And I learned it. And back then, if you typed in tag team, because we didn't have a web presence back then, that's back then we just thought you could just make a website. And if it was pretty, people would come had nothing to do with nothing. It was just sitting in the air. And back then, you type in tag team, it was all wrestling. You type in tag team today, it's all tag team. So I get a I get a call from my agent, August 2020, in the middle of the pandemic. And she's like, DC, you booked a Geico commercial. I'm like, why are you playing with me? There's no way we booked a Geico commercial. I haven't even auditioned for a Geico commercial. DC, they want a tag team. Oh, OK. And I go check my phone because I have a dedicated tag team line. And sure enough, there was a message from the Martin agency who represents Geico. And then I let, you know, them make the deal. And the reason they was able to make that deal, because they didn't wait for me to call back. They went and found me because I had made it easy for me them to find me. And they went to my IMD portal. And all the information to my agent was there. I let them make the deal. It was pure synergy, and to this day, it is the biggest deal I have ever inked in my life—bigger than womb.
0: So, so more so than anything, any deal, so any more, any it, voiceover, any acting gig, any this, anything. This is the this is the biggest. Well, and it's crazy to think that it would come in twenty twenty one. You know, when when really your success uh, started. You know, in ninety two, when you started to get some national recognition. But it's like, see,
1: but think about think about it. That's what planting seeds does for you.
0: And and also yeah, plan- never giving up either, you know. I mean, a lot and of yeah, people get frustrated uh, and give up, and I'm like, no, exactly. just do it, you know.
1: Uh, I planted that seed in 1992. Now, there it is, is a redwood tree. It's a sequoia, right? And 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 you know, I didn't give up. I don't give up. This is, this is not a story of redemption or anything like this. Is a story of steadfastness, tenaciousness, never giving up, not letting people tell you what to think, what you do but getting the education on your own and thinking differently and figuring it out, only deal with the solutions. There are no problems out there. Just deal with the solutions and every step. That's what I do. And we prepared. I prepared for that commercial like an actor. And if I didn't do that, if I just walked up, that commercial would have been over with a long time ago But because I did. That's where you think the spinning scoop came from. And the sprinkles and all the things that make all the nuances that make that commercial great came from preparation because I'm an actor. And the night before we had a fitting, I went to the producers, I said, hey, I got some ideas. They were like, anything you want, D.C. I was like, "Okay." I'm trying to find a spin scoop. I couldn't find we'll have have it for you tomorrow. Really? I know kids love sprinkles, but, you know, I just need some sprinkles that D.C. will have a truckload of sprinkles. They They did everything we wanted. Mm hmm. And we shot that, that that commercial all day and had a ball.
0: I was going to say, it looks like you were having a fun time. You know, just, just the yeah, commercial yeah, itself. Yeah, ball. And yeah, then the sprinkles and, at the end, too. I mean, that makes the Yeah, right yeah, yeah, yep.
1: yeah, man. And it was just like, then it was over. And then we waited. And December 26th at midnight... My phone has not been ringing since. Stop ringing since.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna ask about that. Like since that commercial aired, has it been like nonstop? But but,
1: but the- you know, but there, but there's also the side of it where I'm not I'm not stupid either. I know that things don't last, right? Right. So what can I do to make this thing go? Because you know we can't do shows, we can't do certain things. I said, well, let me get a publicist to blow up acting and voiceover. then the publicist didn't want to work with me because we're in a pandemic, right? So I'm like, okay, well, shoot. Whenever I get stuck, I call these learn how to learn tactics. Whenever I get stuck, I always join an organization, society, or association. And I joined the Public Relations Society of America. I'm going to be my own damn publicist. And two days in, uh, it's Super Bowl week. I'm on a podcast with this big CEO, this big PR firm and i raised my hands our press release is relevant because i've written press release up and i've done them before i know what they are yeah i know how they work but i wanted to hear from a, a ceo an expert and they're like what's it for and i'm like well i'm kind of featured in a geico commercial called scoop there it is blew up the entire zoom call people were like that can't be him is that <laughs> is it what are <laughs> he doing here oh my god my Baby loves him. My mother loves him. My 9-year-old dad loves him. My dog loves him. My cat loves him. We all love that commercial. Great commercial. And just blew up the entire Zoom call. And the moderator was like, okay, okay, okay. Back to DC's question to the (laughs) CEO, are the press releases relevant in this day and age? And she said, yes. Because the whole last year has been about COVID. The whole last year has been political. And you guys come throwing sprinkles, spinning scoops, and DC, you're smiling, you're dancing. She said, of course that press release is going to work. And you're going to go here for all of the journalists. You're going to go here for all the TV talk shows. You're going to go here for all the podcasts. You're going to make sure your pitches are like this. She gave me the entire breath of her experience as a PR specialist in 10 minutes. And it is open the door to things I could have never imagined. And I have not looked back. And it is the reason that you and I are talking right now. You have to think differently. You can't never give up. You can never be complacent. You have to keep playing offense. And that I did that on a Wednesday. The next day, the Dan Patrick show calls me. We got to have you guys on Friday. Now I'm on Dan Patrick's mm-hmm. Super Bowl Friday broadcast. And we're talking about Magic City Strip Club and Geico, and Geico sitting there listening, right? But it was brilliant. And then in a week and a half, we're on a Tamron Hall show. And how I know is because the press release. Because I asked people, "How did you? So what made you pick us?" Mm-hmm. I saw you guys' press release, and you had all the information. I had to go do it, right? That press release got me to another level with two national shows, which took me to another level, which takes you to another level. It just keeps it keeps snowballing. But you hustle. You don't expect anything. You just hustle. You throw it out in the universe. If it comes back to you, good. If it don't, don't worry about it. Play offense. Because you can only get what you want first. If you give what you want first. Right? You got to give it first. There's enough people out there that's always asked for something, complaining about they not getting something. I don't do that. I give what I want first. So I just give. Like I'm sitting here, I, I do three or four of these a day. And I give of all my knowledge and my information and my wisdom and my experience. Because I wish somebody had did that for me when I was a young man. So that's my mission.
0: You, you're and right. And, and you know what? And I, and I thank you for that because it was actually easy to, to contact you.
1: You never know who's listening. You know, you never know how you can help somebody. And I get more and and, and, and you know before we close, I want to thank you for just letting me come on your program and just run my mouth.
0: No, no, I no problem at all. Yeah, no. You no. Know
1: what I, mean? I learned more from talking, man. And you know, these things kill 15 birds with one stone. For over. I'm practicing articulation. For acting, I'm practicing storytelling. You know what I mean? We're meeting new people. We're having conversations. We're not talking about the things that everybody thinks we're going to talk about, which is a pleasant surprise because we're talking about something that goes across every board, goes across the board. There is no everybody just wants a peace of mind. Be left alone and let's make some money and take care of your family. That's it.
0: Yeah.
1: But there are ways that that can be done that don't just infringe upon just making you turning you into somebody bitter or turning you into somebody just there's ways to do it. And it has to come from just being able to sequester your ego and your pride and. You know, I'm not going to say humble yourself. I'm saying sequester your ego and your pride because those are the things that keep people stuck. I watch people die because of their pride. People are dying now because of their pride.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not because of their ignorance, because of their pride, because they can't stand to be wrong. I know. <laughs> they can't stand to be wrong, so they got to believe in something that's false. Right? Right, to now, the point where I'm, they're willing
0: to die over it. You know, that, but they're willing to die for no it. Sense, and I'm right. like,
1: I, I learned a long time ago that I love to be wrong. Because it does the very thing I need to do for me, it sequesters my ego and it sequesters my pride, and I'm dying inside because I'm like I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But what it does is that you know, being wrong is the path to being right, and it opens your mind. Your mind is now open to all possibilities, and now you flourish because you're not stuck in your own stuck. You know what I mean? It's like you're not stuck believing that thing that's just keeping you stuck there. Yeah. Then you know in your heart that is not true. That make it even worse, man. If that becomes a habit, then you truly lost. So
0: And that's no way to I live love, either.
1: Yeah, I, I love to do these things because, you know, I can't sit here and talk all this stuff if I'm not held accountable. But I also do these things because everything we don't talked about has come to pass. And everything I tell you that I'm gonna do is gonna come to pass one way or another. Right? And that's the beauty of it. So and before I go, sprinkle! <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for doing this. I really appreciate it and taking some time. This is great.
1: You got it, man. Have a good day.
0: That was DC Glenn, AKA DC the Brain Supreme of the hit 90s hip hop duo Tag Team. To check out more on DC, you can visit their website at tagteambackagain.com. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at DCGlennATL. Download and follow the My Famed Explained podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And go to Apple Podcasts, rate us, and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search My Famed Explained have an idea for a future show or want to sponsor the show, you can email us at myfameexplained at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Larry Gilbert, and this is the My Famed Explained podcast at myfamedexplained.com.